Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for August 27th, 2023. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta, right around the corner from Wright Street. Yes, and Mm. that's very true. And welcome back to the show, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Yes, excited to have y'all on. Our guest here in about 20 minutes. Uh, joining us for at least the third or fourth time um, is going to be Sonia Van Meter talking about Texas politics. Excited to have Sonia on. But until she calls in, we're going to discuss things, including what uh, Catherine alluded to, um, the uh, arraignment and arrest of Donald Trump did happen, I believe it was on Thursday around 7.30. Luckily, I was at a live event, nowhere near a TV, so I didn't have to endure through any of that nonsense um, one way or the other. Um, Catherine, since you mentioned, you know, being closer in proximity to the big event, um, tell us your thoughts. I sort of feel like finally, finally he's been indicted and arrested for something. Um, I did not, I honestly, I made a decision uh, earlier in the week to not even leave my apartment on that day <laughs> because there was, I, I mean, literally I live like four blocks from the jail. Um, so I knew it was going to be a madhouse and it was, I'm sure everyone saw the pictures of all the supporters and protesters and police and everybody who wanted to get in front of the camera. Um, but, you know, I, there's been a lot of talk about like the mugshot and the, Wade and all that stuff, and I'm I'm really kind of troubled by the fact that we're focusing on that instead of all the terrible things that this man has done. Uh, so that that that's sort of my. I mean, I'm really I'm really glad I'm relieved that you know this is moving forward. I'm really proud of um, Fannie Willis and the Fulton County DA's office and all the people that have been working on this. That they're you know they've made some progress and they seem to be very serious about uh, pursuing this, uh, but I wish that we could focus on the more important things instead of the sort of surface things, but that's kind of the way our society is these days, I guess. Yeah, and Tim, I think this plays into something that our uh, one of our frequent guests, uh, Rachel Bittenkoffer, identified, and that's negative partisanship, and then in some ways, you know, even people that support him fall into that because it's negative, you know, protecting him even when he may be wrong. Um, how much do you think the dynamic that was created is a, a you know, outgrowing, an outcropping of how our politics is today? Well, you know, it, it, I believe the, the, the former mayor of Atlanta, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms, happened to be there. 
um, the other day when Trump came in. And uh, she she talked about how she worked out, how quiet things generally were, how they just never see nothing like that. And it was just a circus atmosphere with protesters, counter-protesters, uh, people going on television to say either whoopee or we're on the verge of a civil war. Um, every move that Donald Trump makes, David, seriously seems to divide the country further. And he's doing that by design. This this is how he operates amidst chaos, uh, amidst negativity, but it really, really, really is hurting the country. And um, it, it's 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 just you know it it is it, sad to see. It 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 really is. I mean the. I'm sure I'm sure they'll be talking about this 200 years from now because you know, ain't never seen anything like this. I mean, an ex-president under arrest on a state charge, and, and oh my, I, I, I don't, I don't, you 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 almost wonder if there's ever going to be an end to this thing. Yeah, because the charges have come down, and we talked some last week about it being. Much like a RICO case, uh, you know, 18 uh-huh. people, be, I guess, beyond him, uh, you know, right. indicted in this one. So this one makes it very different. Tim, you didn't get to speak to that last week. How does it – how is it different that this is not like the um, the one in New York with Stormy Daniels, not like the one in Florida with taking the documents? This one encapsulates, Well, I mean, well, well, basically we can... a, a soccer roster of folks. Yeah, well, well. Plus, we can eliminate the federal stuff because, uh, say, Trump gets elected, he can make federal stuff go away. These state indictments, uh, he can't make that go away. A president has no uh, no means of doing that, according, you know, to to the laws of the land and to the Constitution. So you you can remove the Florida case right there. But in this particular case, this is so um, – the the reach going down this list of people, we go all the way from an ex-president of the United States, uh, I mean, Rudy Giuliani, Mark Medicini, Powell, John Eastman, big, big names like that, all the way down to, like, the former – Chair of the Coffee County Republican Party. Uh, th- this thing reaches out with a lot of tentacles. A lot of stuff happens. There's a lot of moving parts, and and, and the way this thing is breaking down looks like we're going to have uh, several series of trials at different times. Uh, th- th- this thing is. Uh, I mean, if somebody wants to write a book about it, it's going to be like one of those ten-volume sets or something, because this is going to go on and on and on. And you know, I'm looking down at the counts. Yeah, Rudy Giuliani, for instance, charged with 13 counts. Sidney Powell charged with seven counts. I mean, it it isn't just Trump. There there is a lot to uh, dissect here. 
guys. I mean, there is there is a lot. This is a massive, massive, massive story. Yeah, Catherine, Tim made a point about, you know, if he were to be reelected, making federal charges go away. And I think there's just so many things that, that would be, you know, just complex and catastrophic if he were to be reelected. So let's set that aside. But let's talk about it being state charges. Um, we know that, you know, Burt Jones may want this to go away. Colt Moore's already, I guess, on the record, state senator from um, northwest Georgia, wanting this to go away. But most importantly, the Republican governor, the Republican secretary of state, really interest in making this go away. Probably 80 to 90 percent of Republican elected officials would want this to go away, but Trump just happened to be charged in a state where two guys, as much as we may disagree with them on other issues, aren't on his side on this one. How much does that affect this thing? Oh, I think that has a pretty serious impact because we don't have a um, governor who's, you know, going into the DA's office and, you know, trying to make some deal. Um, And I think, you know, we might not like to think that that happens, but we know it does in other states. So I think that has a big impact. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that um, Trump and his people went after uh, Raffensperger's family and and the lies they told about the poll workers. And, I mean, I'm... I'm, I'm I, I hate to say it, but I'm kind of proud of them for standing up for for those um, people and for the principles behind this um, indictment. So, uh, yeah, I do think that has an impact. Yeah, I think that's – we get back to the um, John F. Kennedy um, Library and their Profiles and Courage Awards. They – you know, that's a Democratic president, probably a Democratic – not DNC control, but a Democratic legacy organization – but yet they work to reward people from both sides of the aisle without a war because it's important to recognize when somebody across the aisle does the right thing. Um, maybe people will do more and more of that instead of less and less of that if we point it out. Now, one wild card that is important here, although I think there's indications that we see one way, but we know this gentleman wants to run for office down the road, a higher office than he currently is, and that would be Attorney General Chris Carr. Tim, A, how much impact do you think he could possibly have if he chose to have impact? And then B, how do you think he might or might not use that impact? Honestly, I think Chris Carr would like to stay away from this trial if he could. Because then, I mean, if you know, if you're not close to the coffee pot, you're not going to get any stains. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I would think that the governor would 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 very much enjoy not weighing in any more on this, um, especially with the, with the MAGA crowd down here uh, in his backyard. So I, I think that there is a, a a lot of Republican officials that, that would just like to stay away from it. Now, some, of course, can't wait to run their mouths about it, especially in the legislature and the things that they're talking about doing more on that, you know, here in a minute. 
Uh, but, you, you know, Raffensperger and his people are, are in the middle of it and are going to have to testify. And, and they know that because they, they, they were the main targets uh, by Trump and his bunch uh, to try to overturn this thing. Let me tell you, let me, there's another thing, too. This opens the can of worms possibly to at least six more states with this fake electors thing because they've all been indicted here now. Uh, quite a handful of them have been indicted. They're part of this. Uh, matter of fact, Trump, one of Trump's lawyers, uh, Chusebro, uh, he was the one that um, he's the one that circulated the memo coming up with this silly idea, the fake electors to start with. So we 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 guys in coming days we may be talking about Arizona starting up. Uh, we may be talking about Michigan. We might be talking about a, a trial in Pennsylvania, and on and on and on and on and on. Uh, this, this thing is 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 opening up a lot of stuff in a lot of states. Uh, no, no yeah. wonder half of Trump's people are, are are asking for 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 this thing to be moved to federal court. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and, and you talk, talk about these states now. This probably gets into play where your state capital is. In Georgia, it's Atlanta. In Arizona, it would be Phoenix, a large city that's I, I, I'm sure Democratic, based on it being a large city. Um, Wisconsin would be Madison, which we know how Democratic it is. And not that it's like, oh, it's Democratic and they're going to get them. It just means those are the people that have no reason not to follow the law. They just, you know, ignore what Trump did because it's, um, you know, just because of who he is. Now, I'm not as familiar with Lansing, but I believe Harrisburg is more of a Republican area. Catherine, um, your thoughts on the fact that it is state by state, and if you can add a little more, um, light on Lansing's politics, please do. I honestly don't know much about Lansing's politics. It's a pretty small town, um, but it's close to East Lansing, which is a college town, so I imagine it's probably pretty liberal. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, it does open up a can of worms, these electors, and it'll be interesting to see how that all pans out. And the timeline for it. Yeah. Now, now let's get into the politics, and we do have two sides of this. And I tell you what, since we're a Georgia-based show, um, let's go with what we know. Um, we know in 2022 that this didn't blow back on Brad Raffensperger. This didn't blow back on Brian Kemp. Didn't blow back on Chris Carr. Probably wouldn't have blown back on Jeff Duncan had he run for re-election. Um, and so – but I guess for whatever reason, incumbency carried the day. It wasn't this big issue. It didn't have the mugshot. It didn't have the arrest. All these things that the MAGA crowd sees as such an indignity. So now, look at these gentlemen moving forward. Some of them can run for re-election. Some of them can run for either higher or different office. And I'm speaking specifically of Brian Kemp because governor, senator, is they're just different. I won't say one's higher than the other. So it's just a different office. Um, Tim, how do you think this might impact? I mean, is this the kind of thing where um, Republican primary voters and Republican leaders like Candace Taylor could um, hold this against these folks for what happened to Donald Trump? 
Well, they had an opportunity to do that last year. Uh, they couldn't even elect Trump's hand-picked guy to the U.S. Senate. Now, I know Trump's hand-picked guy did everything he could to lose that race himself, as we <laughs> have discussed at great length on here, but still... Where was the blowback, as you mentioned, last year? There was their opportunity. Uh, Trump even put up somebody, you know, David Perdue, to run, and he just fell totally flat. Uh, There were pro-Trump candidates all sprinkled through the primary. They didn't do very well. And and I would would have to think uh, Trump created enough negativity with what he did here to probably uh, not not only hurt Herschel Walker, who hurt himself, as, as we mentioned, but to help Reverend Warnock. So I don't think going forward that uh, we're, we're talking about these candidates uh, being hurt until I see it actually happen. For instance, if the governor wanted to run Say for the U.S. Senate in 2026, I would think he would be a very formidable candidate. Uh, I think these other guys, uh, these constitutional officers, they want to keep their jobs. I would think having been reelected, they're very safe there. So uh, right now, I don't, uh, I don't see any blowback, David. Do you see any? I, I don't know. I. I, I it, it seems like what we see around the country and in these in their leadership elections, there would be. But if 2022, the primary for the Republicans was our best data point, there's not any. Um, you know, not here. Not and, and will it will it be different after? Because one, I think a long time there is we're talking about 2026 elections, and what happens in 2024 is going to be so impactful because if I had to just predict what's going to happen, Donald Trump's going to be the nominee, and he's going to lose a little bit worse than he did in 2024, and he's going to have a little more of a stench of a loser on him, and that's going to hurt him with the Republican primary base. What do you think, Catherine? You know, I think, um, you know, this these uh, few leaders in Georgia and um, who are somewhat sensible in some ways, Kemp and Raffensperger, may be the saving grace of the Republican Party. You know, it may be that um, by not backing Trump in this indictment, and if he gets convicted, then they may come out as um, a sort of uh, saviors. Uh, and it could, it could be um, very good for their political careers. And it could be good for the, I mean, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm no fan of of, um, of Kemp's or Raffensperger, but if we're going to, if there's any hope for the Republican Party, they may be the people that we're going to have, that the Republicans need to count on. Yeah, and then, of course, there's a whole other issue set um, that matters because, like, for instance, Brian Kemp talked about, oh, how Ron DeSantis would be moving on from Trump, we'd be moving on from Trump but not a lot of the grossly negative aspects of, of what Trump brought. So that, that, that still kind of 
I think they're on the hook for those. Um, well, until we get into our guests, let's uh, look at one more thing. How does this fourth indictment with a mugshot, with, and I, and I do think this does matter, the 215 pounds, because even if you were somebody <laughs> who was like, well, no, I just don't think it, I don't think they should be, you know, arresting presidents and make him get fingerprinted, mugshots, and blah, 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 blah. Everybody knows he doesn't weigh 215 pounds. He just looks like a goofy liar. So I do think that hurts him in some <laughs> way. But bigger question, Tim, how does this impact him for 2024? Well, if Trump weighs 215, let me introduce myself. I'm the tooth fairy. But, uh, you know, <laughs> it, uh, of course it's going to impact Trump for 2024. It, it, it can't help but impact Trump. The polling is showing it. A little bit. Uh, we've we've got uh, oh thirty nine percent of Republicans now in this country who either think you know he's he he he's he's gonna you know pay the price or or they just don't know it. He's got sixty one percent of Republicans sticking with him, but that ain't a good place to be if you're the Republican nominee, is it? Uh, That's right. He, he, not, has have, he has to have those people right with him. Yeah, not at all. Well, let's go ahead and change gears for a little while, and let's move west to Texas and welcome in our Texas political expert, Sonia Van Meter. Welcome, Sonia. Hey, how y'all doing? Doing well. Good. Sonia, you, this is about the, the third time you've been on the show, and sometimes you learn something new. I went ahead and put a little longer bio about you. And I see that you are a graduate of Georgia State University. I knew you were smart, but I had no idea you were that smart. Tell us the story. How did you get to Georgia State, and how did you get away from Georgia State? How do, how do we get you back? Oh, my. Well, so you know what? My, my tour through college uh, went all over Georgia. I started off at Agnes Scott, you know, that women's college over in Decatur. And yes. then I, I, I left there and went over to Kennesaw State for a year. Uh, And then finally, I graduated from Georgia State uh, in about 2003 with a degree in sociology. And I got to tell you, I loved every single one of them. Good deal. Well, as a a three-time graduate of Georgia State, um, I'm always uh, see anytime I see that, I think, oh well, and there's a connection. But um, good to to know you have these Georgia roots. And and, but I understand you got to do good work out in Texas. So let's get to that. First thing I just want to ask about is um, they keep mentioning Texas as a uh, state that could, you know, be one of those few states that could flip from from red to blue and either this election, next next election, some point in the future. How's it looking since last time we talked to you about this? The trends. Uh, we- with profound respect to those who say this is the cycle, um, we've been saying that in Texas for about 20 years. And um, as much as I my love my, my new home state, um, I think the Democratic Party has a lot of work to do still. Um, you know, particularly with reference to the, to the big U.S. Senate race that's going to happen next year. Uh, you know, we've got Ted Cruz going up against either uh, Colin Allred or um, uh, State Senator Gutierrez. Um, you know, I just, I, as much as I want to believe, uh, I'm, I, we took such a shellacking, Democrats took such a shellacking last year, that I think we're having a hard time recruiting talented candidates. I think we're having a hard time with fundraising. Um, and I think that, you know, all of the institutions, Annie's List, 
the Texas Democratic Party, you know, all the infrastructure around here is still kind of rebuilding. Um, and, and I'm not saying they're not equal to the task, because they definitely are. But if I'm, a, if I'm a betting woman, I'm probably not betting a blue Texas in 2024. Yes, and, and it's, it's kind of understandable because particularly we lost ground among Latino voters. and We know that Joe Biden saw that. And, you know, he appointed a Latina campaign manager, and and obviously I think a lot of that is let's get someone that understands that community firsthand to do better. Do you think her knowledge base and maybe other advisors that get brought in um, can help not only in Texas but in other states as well in that community? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's that's first and foremost what we've got to do. We've got to start listening to people from these communities. But the the really mission critical thing that Texas Democrats need to do um, is is to realize, and I mean to fully recognize that the Hispanic vote is by no means a monolith. What a Hispanic voter in the Valley wants is likely very different from what a Hispanic voter wants in the north of Texas. And, you know, we seem to have a difficult problem of figuring out how to message to folks. And, you know, that was never more evident than in, in 2020 when Donald Trump was winning, you know, heavily Latino districts. Um, you know, even while we were talking, what well, we thought we were talking about, you know, issues of security and the border and economics and job security, somehow our message just did not resonate. And, and a message from a man like Donald Trump you know, seemed, seemed to resonate. So whether it's a question of the message or perhaps the messenger, I think there are a lot of things that the Democratic Party needs to figure out in terms of, uh, you know, upping, upping its numbers with Latino voters. Yes. Well, you mentioned that Senate race. And um, mm-hmm. Colin Allred was a pretty good recruit. I mean, I'll say this. I would not bet what's in my bank account on really any seat this cycle in the Senate flipping from red to blue, but if you gave me a free bet to pick one, I'd pick Texas just because I know Ted Cruz is unpopular. Colin Allred is as good a recruit as you're going to find this cycle to try to flip a seat. So is that the best seat, or is is it not as good as some others might be? No, I think it is the best seat that we have a shot at, for sure. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. Colin Allred, you know, he's a good candidate. He is disciplined, and he is charismatic, and he sure knows how to fundraise. Um, and those are not bad qualities to have if you're, if you're going into a U.S. Senate race here in Texas. But I will tell you this. In 2018, when, when Ted Cruz was at the height of his unpopularity, you know, he'd been talking trash about Donald Trump and was, was very, very unpopular, even with his own base. And then in 2018, we also had that massive Democratic wave, you know, in in response to the Trump election. Even then, even with a a wildly popular Democratic candidate like Beto O'Rourke, who still, you know, the rose was on that, uh, the bloom was on that rose in a big way because it was his first really, really big campaign since he'd been in Congress. Um, You know, if, if, if even he couldn't get, you know, within three points, I just I, the conditions are not there for it. We're fighting uphill against the wind, you know. I, and and as great a, uh, a candidate as Colin Allred is, um, like I said, you know, if, if it's my money on the line, I, I'm not sure I'm putting it there. But but I have been wrong before, and uh, and I would very very much look forward to being wrong this time. Yeah, sometimes we're wrong, and we like to be wrong when we're betting against our own team. Well, let me ask you one more question on this particular thing. Since Colin Allred 
has a house seat that seems to be trending bluer and bluer. He's probably pretty safe. Why'd he do it? Why is he risking a bird in the bush for two in the or uh, a bird in the hand for two in the bush? Well, uh, I'm I'm not part of Mr. Allred's team. Um, I've only met him once, but if I had to hazard a guess, I would say that you know I the, the one time that I've met him, he is a, a decent and honorable man, and he loves his state. You know, he loves his home state. And uh, I, I, if I had to, if I had to just pick a pick a, a, a guess, I'd say it's that he feels this is necessary. You know, that's a that's a common trait among Democratic candidates in this state. You know, they they go to the mattresses, you know, on behalf of their communities, knowing full well that it's probably not going to happen for them. But but we have to do the work anyway. And sometimes it does work out. You know, sometimes we do manage to flip a seat. And you know, sometimes the demographics are trending in our direction in a certain district in a certain county. And, and we get a break. And, and I think that's the motivation that keeps a lot of Texas Democrats coming back for more. Um, you know, it, whether it was, you know, poor Beto or, or Wendy Davis or the Castros, you know, all of them have played a bit of a sacrificial lamb at some point. But it has to be done. It has to be done every year uh, so that we, you know, we learn new things about, about what's going on. We, we learn about what's trending. We learn about the issues that matter to people. And I, I think Colin Allred is just a great example of a, of a public servant who's trying to do right by his people. Yes. Well, one more question about a different topic. Um, it seems like with you know the debate that the Republicans had the other night, a lot of folks are running for president. Um, a lot of uh, <laughs> governors that um, are from different states are running for president. Greg Abbott has a pretty decent national profile, and he has a little bit of a personal story. Why did he decide to skip this 2024 GOP presidential primary race? Greg Abbott is many things, but a fool is not one of them. Anybody (laughs) can read a poll. And Greg Abbott's been reading polls for for a long, long time. And he knows. He he can see the writing on the wall. All those fools that got up on that stage the other night, they, they huffed and they puffed. For you know, however many hours they were on that stage, and at the end of the day, not one of them is polling anywhere even near Donald J. Trump. This is a fool's errand, and Texas does not suffer fools. Makes sense. Well, I'm going to pass it to Catherine for more questions. He'll pass it to Tim for even more. Catherine? <laughs> hey, Sonia. Thanks for being on the show tonight. That was an absolutely great answer about uh, Governor about your governor. I love that. <laughs> I want to ask you about a couple of um, the issues. The latest poll that I could find, which was from like September 22, and I'm sure there's more current ones. I just wasn't, uh, I didn't poke deep enough, I guess, didn't deep dive enough. But George, uh, Texans support some kind of abortion. Uh, they don't think it should be illegal across the board. It varies, you know, what what legality they uh, they favor. But so, how how is that um, how is that support being? How how are your politicians like dealing with that? Considering the way that your legislature is uh, banning and you know changing all the laws and stuff like that. How is that working with the you know, average voter who supports some kind of abortion? Well, I think part of the problem is that abortion is only an issue 
if you need it right then. You know, most people don't spend a lot of their time thinking about abortion. It's one of those things they only think about when when it's suddenly, you know, they're in a position to, to need one or someone they love needs need one. It is, you know, passionately it is an issue. But the problem is the voters of Texas have a whole slew of other problems on their plates right now that uh, the Republican Party is very, very good at ginning up support about. Um, and, and I say support because all they have to do is make voters afraid of things. And the, the Republican Party here in Texas is absolutely masterful at making folks think that the Democratic Party is coming to absolutely destroy their way of life. Um, and that is very frustrating, of course, because what we want to be talking about is fixing the grid so that the power doesn't collapse on us uh, when it gets over 90 degrees or below 30 degrees. What we want to be talking about is making sure our children can go to school without worrying about having to do you know, active shooter drills. Um, but, but, but the Texas Republican Party, my God, they are so good at reminding voters that freedom is above all the most Texas attributes in the universe and that the Democrats are coming for that. And so we end up kind of taking the bait, you know, because it's a natural response. When they, when they point a finger at us and, and, we, and they scream socialism, our natural response is to be like, no, we just don't want people dying. Um, but that, that's, you know, we're always on the back foot. And, you know, as we are absolutely the party of a choice, of personal responsibility, but, Lord, we got some work to do on messaging that. And until, <laughs> until we get a little bit better at talking about, um, you know, economic issues and public safety issues and border issues, abortion is just, it's just not the primary, it's not the primary issue for anybody. And that's, that is unfortunate, but, um, you know, this is Texas, and God bless us. Well, you mentioned the border. Um, I know that uh, it seems like, you know, just from anecdotal reading that the number of people trying to cross the border has, has slowed, down, slowed down somewhat. Is that, um, is that still a big issue to people in, um, in Texas? It's always a huge issue when an election is coming. And the minute the election is over, we stop thinking about it entirely. And this is what I'm talking about when I, when I say that the Republican Party has really got their messaging down iced cold. Um, yeah, no, we won't, we, won't hear, we won't worry too much about immigration until you know, Greg Abbott has to run for re-election. Um, and, that's, and that's just sort of the way of it. Um, and, you know, of course, Texas is making wonderful headlines now about putting circular saws in our uh, uh, water borders. Uh, I can't tell you how proud that makes me as a Texan that we would rather shred a human being to death than allow them to reach our shores. Um, but, you oh, know, my this God, is, I hadn't heard about that. Oh, oh yeah. Huh. Lovely, lovely stories about, uh, yeah, razor wires and circular saws um, uh, 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 hidden by buoys to make it really, really just horrid and, and oh, my God. God-smacking. Yeah, lovely headlines. Well, I, I welcome all your listeners to check that out. Texas is really pushing the envelope when it comes to its humanity here. But, um, you know, that's, that's what we do. We play politics right up until E-Day, and then we go right back to business as usual. Well, maybe, maybe like you said earlier, that this will be different. Maybe there will be some <laughs> moment in 2024 when – Something changes. We always have to well, hope for that, right? We have to. Let me work go ahead and throw this out 
because I, I don't want to be all doom and gloom over here. Uh, you know, Texas Democrats, as, as a group and you know, sort of individually, we've, we've been doing some real soul searching. And there are some very, very interesting new things happening that I think might make a difference. Um, and it has to do with, with turnout, with getting out the votes. Um, the Texas Democratic Party, uh, about, a, about a month and a half before the 2022 election, um, started playing around with some new technology that involves helping, um, helping to remind people to vote by having their friends contact them to remind them. Because, you know, we can stuff mailboxes and shove digital ads on you and flood your TV shows with ads for, for candidates and reminders about elections. But when a friend or a colleague or a family member calls you and texts you, it's much, much, much more effective at getting out people to vote. And um, there, is some, there are some new efforts underway, um, I believe, you know, kind of encouraged by the TDP, but, you know, being undertaken by outside groups to kind of capitalize this on, a, in a, in a real, capitalize on this in a very real way. So, you know, there is always reason for hope, but there is especially reason for hope now that we're trying some new things. You know, I think we've kind of hit the point where it's like we just got to throw everything against the wall and maybe see what sticks. And I think, I think that's where we're at here in Texas. And do you have early voting and absentee voting in Texas? We have early voting. Uh, I believe we have absentee. I'm pretty sure we have absentee voting. Yeah, because that's the other thing that I think um, a lot of, uh, can, candidates, parties uh, are finally recognizing that they can't wait until the last week of the election to do these things. You know, you have to start way early and remind people that they can go and vote early or they can apply for an absentee ballot and mm-hmm. extend that uh, persuasion time a lot longer. Because, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, so David and Tim. It used to be you know, the weekend before the election was when you did all your, you know, really big advertising and push because that's when people were voting, you know, that mm-hmm. following Tuesday. But now with this early voting, it really has to start weeks before. And, mm-hmm. with, you know, preparation, this is how you do it. This is where you can go. This is the times and all that stuff. So um, I'm glad to hear that um, they're using because that is very persuasive. I've read that data that when your friends tell, remind you and encourage you and offer to take you to the polls and let's have a voting party, let's, you know, um, I think that does really um, motivate voters and make them more aware of what's happening. So good for them. Good for, good for y'all. Great job. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm going to pass it to Tim. I know he has a whole list of questions for you. Thank you Bring so it. much, Sonia. Yeah, but but I promise not to ask every one of them. We we are under <laughs> time constraint. But you know what I'm going to do is is I'm going to start uh, not statewide. Okay. Uh, I, I checked. You know, when I was prepping questions for you, of course, I checked all the usual suspects and their websites: the Texas Tribune, the paper in Austin, and this one and that one, and. Every one of them had a link to a story about a young lady by the name of Avery Bishop, uh, the former Miss Texas, and she does the you know she does have a great personal story. Uh, but all of a sudden, 
she ups and announces that she's running for the state legislature against an incumbent Republican. What in the world is up with that? <laughs> it's kind of fabulous, isn't it? The first, oh, it is. Uh, yeah, the first Asian American Miss Texas ever in the in the pageant's 85 year I think history. Um, uh-huh. She's she's barely done with her term as Miss Texas, and she has announced for uh, a state legislature district uh, here in Dallas, actually, where I'm based, and I could mm-hmm. not be more thrilled. She is she is 26 years old as she's a day, you know. I I mean, brand spanking mm-hmm. in this world, but I will say this: she has moxie. Um, I am not generally one to follow pageants; they are kind of a big deal here in Texas, but it's it's not usually my beat. But you know what? This woman came out swinging and had no problem taking our our state leaders to task for failing on all kinds of issues, from power grid failures to to guns to abortion to race. I I'm a fan of this woman, and um, and this district, the district she's running for, it's not it's not super swingy. I mean, it's been held soundly since I think 2009 by a Republican. But this, you know, this is the kind of energy that I think the Democratic Party desperately needs. Um, and it's certainly the kind of representation that we need because, I mean, the, we, there's a huge AAPI community, you know, in Texas, of course, but, but very much so in Dallas as well. And, uh-huh. you know, the more, the more that we can make our state legislature look like the actual demographics of Texas, I think the better the results will be for everybody. So this story is going to have a lot of legs, isn't it? It's, it's going to get a lot of play. Well, you know, it's it's yeah, I think it is uh, because it's a swing swing district because it's going to be two women going up against one another because Miss uh-huh. Bishop has such a high public profile. And I mean, we're Texas; we love our beauty queens. But to have uh-huh. a beauty queen, you know, who is who is willing to 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 go to the mats to to fight for. You know, not not simply to wave and smile, but to fight for the issues she believes in and that that matter to her. Like, I yeah, that's a woman I'd vote for. That's a woman I'd donate money to. That's a woman I'd canvass for. All right. Well, now we're going to go from a feel good story to uh, <laughs> your attorney general on I believe it's the fifth. He's going to go on trial in the Senate since he's been impeached. Uh, I know that the state Senate, I believe, is split like maybe 18 to 12 in favor of the Republicans. Um, No, no, it's more than that. Uh, At at any rate, what is the present status of that trial? First of all, you got got, uh, people like Rick Perry hollering, stop the trial, just stop it. Republicans mm-hmm. in the Senate. Uh, mm-hmm. Do they have the votes to do that, and would they do that? You know, under ordinary circumstances, I would say there's there's no way in the world that this this man gets convicted. You know, this is still Republican state, this is still Republican legislature, and this is still Texas. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> the buzz that that is is floating around the, the, the state capitol is that the crimes and transgressions that have been listed in the news stories thus far are a drop in the bucket compared to what the prosecution is prepared to bring during the trial. 
Um, mm-hmm. Now, I know that a lot of Republicans, our own junior senator, Ted Cruz included, have made a lot of noise about how, you know, if you think he's guilty, just wait for the trial. But, you know, uh, I think that, you know, the, the voters of Texas knew that he was under indictment, under, under federal investigation, uh, and they still voted for him. So perhaps, perhaps we should respect the will of the voters, to which I say to Mr. Senator Ted Cruz, <laughs> because that man <laughs> led the charge on Donald Trump overturning the last election. And I will not be lectured on honoring the will of the people by a man so staggeringly hypocritical. Uh, Do you think the votes would be there to convict, kick him out of office? I I think it's certainly possible. I think the problem that he has to deal with now is that you know, the, the Republican body has been asked to sort of paper over his sins. And, you know, Texas Republicans can excuse a lot of bad behavior, but there comes a point, and I think, I think it's possible we've reached that point, when they have to recognize that it is no longer worth their capital to continue defending a person like this, particularly not when, you know, we could easily – they, the Republicans, could easily fill that seat with another body. Um, and I don't think, I mean, you know, at least when the microphones are turned on, most Republicans are not turning on him, you know, publicly. But, you know, sort of like with, you know, the Madison Cawthorns of the world, there's only so far you can push folk before they, you know, decide it's better off to just cut you loose. And I think that, you know, I think that the trial is going to be very interesting. I look forward to seeing what's uh, what each side brings forth as, as their evidence. Uh, but I, I want to reserve judgment, you know, because uh, the fact that we even managed to get the impeachment does, done sort of baffles me. I never thought that that, that that would have happened. And yet here we are, and he's been temporarily removed from office. Um, so, yeah, I would just say, you know, get the popcorn and, and buckle up because it's going to be a ride. It should be fun to watch. Okay. A new law was enacted out there that does one thing. It eliminates Harris County's election administrator position. Uh, why was this done? Was it a power grab or, or, or what's going on there? Uh, it's exactly what you think. Um, Harris County went, voted in a way that was displeasing to our Republican overlords, and they decided that shall not stand. <laughs> Well, I, but I at the I same, have a more clever answer for you. I really, really yeah. do. But at, at the uh, end of the day, sometimes it really is just that simple. Yeah, and at the same time, that's happening. Houston is one of the most democratic cities, of course, in the United States, with a, uh, a very good-looking mayor, by the way, for for future political advancement. <laughs> uh, um, uh, and all of a sudden, they've been selected to host the Republican National Convention in 2028. Now, I know they did it once before, but that was in 92, and a Bush was, was running for re-election. Uh, so, so it made a lot of sense. This announcement came really early. Uh, why was Houston selected Oh, my goodness. Um, You you may as well ask me about the mystery of the Sphinx. Um, 
I, I wish I had a good answer for you, but truly, you know, the, the Republican powers that be, um, I, 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 I could not tell you. I wouldn't even want to hazard a guess to tell you the truth. Um, I mean, Houston has, you know, a whole lot of power and a whole lot of influence and, and specifically a whole lot of money. Um, you know, a ton of money comes out of Houston for, for, for statewide races. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to know that there were, you know, probably some, some very dedicated donors um, who were looking to, you know, create, some, create a financial advantage for their city. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> wish I could tell you more. But, uh, I mean, Houston seems as good a city as any. Where else would you have them have it? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yes, it's, 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 it's a great city to do it in, but I, I was just looking at the election map like, you know, Texas is in the Republican Party's back pocket, probably. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it just, uh, and, and they announced it so early. Generally, you wait until after, say, say they would wait till right after the 2024 election to announce 28 in this. No, none of this made any sense to me and I, mm. I just I just didn't understand. So well, I, I, I love that point. you're looking for things to make sense here in Texas. If you figure that out, <laughs> honey, you give me a call. I got one more uh question for you and I'm gonna send it back to Davis. Now another big uh David, excuse me. Another big issue in um out there is the state's transgender youth health care oh, ban, yeah. of course. And yet a district judge uh blocking the ban uh temporarily at least, from going into effect. But, of course, you have the Texas Supreme Court and and, and who they are. And so this thing probably is going to be a law going forward, isn't it? Uh, Yes. I'm I'm afraid I'm afraid that is that is very much how this is going to unfold. And, um, you know, I don't mind telling you that this is, you know, it's a – it's an issue that affects a relatively small number of Texans, but the ones uh-huh. that it does affect are going to hurt very, very badly. Um, I mean, I, this is obviously anecdotal, but I know several families who have already left Texas for bluer states precisely because they were worried that DPS would be coming to their children, that they'd be separated from them, that they could be you know, prosecuted for simply trying to provide health care for their children and their families. I mean, it's 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 part of the the continuing trend trend of sort of psychic cruelty um, that that we are inflicting on some of our more vulnerable uh, members. But um, you know that such is the way. You know, it, when when you talk about those kinds of issues to to general election voters, um, you know, that's again, it's about ginning up fear, and the Republican Party is very good at that. And because it's a messy issue that a lot of people just don't understand, you know, the framing it as, as child abuse or torture, you know, it's very effective. It's very, very effective. And, uh, you know, even though it's, you know, it's an issue that affects, like I said, a relatively small number of Texans, um, it's, it's a powerful one. And, you know, it's right up there with, with abortion and, you know, calling Democrats baby killers and, and talking about things like partial birth abortion, which is not actually a thing, but sure sounds good in a soundbite. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's yet another yet another item on their uh, on their to do list to make it very very hard to be anything other than a straight white English speaking Christian man. 
Hey, well, I want to leave you with this, Sonia, and I'll throw it back to David. Uh, I'm uh, a lot older than you are, and I remember <laughs> when the Pernalis, uh Hill country was the center of the democratic political universe in the United States. It goes around and it comes around. And with that, I'm going to send it right back to David. David? Yes, well, Sonia, we enjoy having you on so much. And we are so excited that Texas becomes blue. One, because it just would completely complicate things for Republicans, be good for the people of Texas, but for us, it would mean we could have you on even more than we do. Uh, but luckily, <laughs> Texas is such an exciting state because you're such a great guest. But before you leave our listeners, tell them where they might could read your work, even if it's just on social media. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Sonia Van Meter, but you can find me on Twitter at BourbonFace. That's B-O-U-R-B-O-N-F-A-C-E. That's about it. I think that's all I got. <laughs> that's fine because you're busy. Um, we understand. Well, Sonia, thanks again. And hopefully next time you come on, it'll be because we've gotten some polls showing that Ted Cruz is ultimately just big-time vulnerable and, and Colin already has turned this thing around and maybe some more good news other places in your state. From your lips to God's ears, let me tell you. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Thank ma'am. you all. Y'all have a good one. You too. you too. All right, so that was Sonia Van Meter, Texas political expert of the Kudzu Vine. Um, let's go ahead and uh, talk about the debate, which we mentioned you know, with Sonia in different points, and she mentioned back to us. Um, but the Wednesday night debate, it was, I think, termed the JV debate because, honestly, you know, Donald Trump was speaking – on Tucker Carlson's uh, Twitter or X, well, I don't know if you call it a show, um, and of course he's getting arrested the next night and making another show, and it's a live appearance. You know, everybody knew he's got, uh, you know, a, tr- a double-digit lead that's, you know, more than three touchdowns in every poll. So the, the debate seemed anticlimactic, but it had to get covered anyway because we don't even have a Democratic race in the same way. So it's all you know, political pundits have. So, um, Tim, you probably watched, actually, I think you watched part of the debate live, uh, whereas Catherine and I saw highlights uh, um, after the fact. So tell us what your thoughts were. Yeah, I, I actually watched the whole thing because I'm a masochist, I guess. I, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you know, I've I, I mentioned this to you this week. Uh, Nick, Nikki Haley really, really did well, and and I think she, you know, if you got to name a debate winner, I name her. And and you know, Mike Pence got out there. You think about this low key guy that fell asleep during a Trump meeting in the Oval Office and got his picture taken nodding off and, and a guy that never raises his voice and did that. But he, he got out there and he he got busy the other night. He he got in Vivek Ramaswamy's face uh, several times for one thing, and I, I think he also did well. Uh, Tim Scott, Asa Hutchinson, and, and, and Doug Burgum were – basically non-factors they 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 actually disappeared at some points in that debate did vivek ramaswamy talked like 
a, a nutcase. I mean, it just, oh, boy. But he accomplished one thing. He got noticed. And and so I wouldn't call him a loser. I certainly wouldn't call him a winner. But I think he accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. He got people talking about it. Uh, Chris Christie was trying to attack him because Trump wasn't there. And he was like playing Trump like Ron DeSantis. He, he well, you know, he repeated his well-worn campaign lines. That's what he did. He brought nothing new. And although he didn't hurt himself, and he didn't move the needle. I think he just wanted the status quo. Uh, and the elephant in the room, of course, that we'll discuss was the one that wasn't there, Donald Trump. So that's yeah. what I took away from that debate. Yeah, you, Tim, you say it like we got 20 more minutes instead of five or, uh, or four. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so there's so many layers we're going to not be able to discuss but, Catherine, I think Tim's right. Everything I saw in the highlights, everything I read, Ron DeSantis went into this debate like he was a point or two behind Donald Trump or he was, you know, right there in the mix. Yet he's – I mean, like if he's down 23 points to Donald Trump, it's a good poll for him. What in the world was he thinking playing it so safe? I have to be honest. I didn't watch it. I didn't read much about it. I didn't look at any highlights. All I saw were the pictures, and Ron DeSantis looked like he was stoned. Honestly. <laughs> he looked like he just, like, had an edible and was, like, you know, waiting for it to kick in. Um, you know, but I, I've heard that Nikki Haley did well. I'm not surprised by that. She's pretty poised and... um and she manages to talk out of whatever side of her mouth is appropriate for the time. Um, interestingly, I heard that Mike Pence looked kind of sleepy and not um, not that animated, but I, I must have gotten a missed a miss report or maybe someone who didn't watch the whole thing. But, you know, it's sort of a, you know, a folly to even have this debate, like why did they even bother? Um, I don't. I don't think there's any. I mean, at this point, unless something really dramatic happens, I don't think there's any point. And I mean, I, it seems inevitable that uh, former President Trump is going to get the nomination, even if he gets convicted, even if he's in jail. It seems like he's going to get the nomination, and of the people who did well in the debate, I don't, maybe they did well in the debate, but I don't think it's going to push their uh, polling needles in any direction that's going to help them to be a, you know, realistic counter to Trump. So, uh, yeah, that's why I didn't watch it. Yeah, I'll tell you the most interesting storyline going into this debate was the morning report that, uh, North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum had um, played basketball that morning and possibly broken his leg or injured his leg in some way. It was almost like a, a sports – and that he might have to, um, you know, have some type of uh, crutches or, or help to be on the debate stage. Would he make the debate stage if he couldn't stand? I thought, man, he, he may walk out like Willis Reed 
um, in the early 70s championship and just, you know, get some buzz out of that. But, but unfortunately for him, no go. So now let's get into the real action. And I'll tell you this, I think it's important when you have these debates, you, see, you seek out sources that, you know, really look at it. I mean, you have to from a Republican voter's perspective. And uh, one thing I found that was the most interesting is CNN did a focus group with a bunch of voters from Iowa. There's maybe 20 voters from Iowa. And um, I will say this, the crowd was young. It was actually really male, like two women in the audience, which I thought was going on there. Either they didn't get their demographics very good or that's a trend going on in Iowa, which would put Iowa in play if that was the case. Um, but it was very young group. But anyway, as the um, respondents talked, I noticed two things. One was it seemed to be some voters were kind of more middle of the road, including whatever town this was in Iowa's mayor, um, and they liked Nikki Haley. It was kind of like if you went into it with an open mind and you weren't just some hardcore MAGA, you know, complete, you know, right-winger that you kind of gravitated with what Nikki Haley said. But then those folks that really wanted that red meat that seemed to be missing Trump, they loved Vivek Ramaswamy. And so just out of that little bit, I took it that, that was those were the winners. I also watched Ryan Kelly, who's been on the show, who tries to look at things from a very neutral perspective or a, a perspective of whomever the audience is. He kind of came away with a lot of the same take because um, he's very good at uh, putting aside his personal political feelings. And so I, that's what I gathered out of it, that those two people, just like you did, Tim, that they did well. Um, and everybody else that wasn't them kind of became losers, although, it, once again, it looks like that Mike Pence's spinal transplant is taking, and he still has a backbone. <laughs> good for Mike. Hope that continues. I'm rooting for you, Mike. I want you to keep a backbone for the rest of your life. Stand up to people when they want to hang you. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of the situation there. Thanks again to Sonia Van Meter for coming on tonight. Next week will be Labor Day, but we're going to have a show because after we took three weeks off this summer, I feel we have to. And we're having an exciting guest, uh, David Mark, who's been on the show before. He's coming on from the Washington Examiner magazine. And he's going to talk to us about this Republican primary race, even though he's more of a neutral observer. The Washington Examiner editorial page is a bit more Republican conservative. Also, he's from California, so he's going to know a little bit about the California Senate race. So next week on our Labor Day show, we have that for you. But until then, it's been the Cudsy Vine. Good night, night, guys. Good night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest...